You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. My name is Anthony Abbott. I'm your host. On this episode, we're joined by Key Costigan. Key is a commentator for Fox Sports and is also the Seattle Sounders commentator. We're also joined by Valor new boy Daryl Fordyce. Daryl just talks to us about his football career so far. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Okay, so um, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. We are joined by ex-professional footballer, Fox Soccer pundit, I guess would be a good description, uh, and Seattle Sounders commentator, Keith Costigan. Welcome to the show, Keith. Uh, thank you for having me, Anthony. And, and we should mention to, to your listeners, this is the first time in maybe 30 years that we've spoken because we grew up in the same two streets away from each other and, and we're good, good footballing pals. So it's, uh, it's good to catch up with you again. Yeah, but thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, it's um, definitely like we are. I think you were kind of like a, just a year older than me. So I think our football careers t- took a d- drastically different turn. <laughs> Your, yours was slightly more, uh, slightly more successful than mine. <laughs> well, I, th- I think no, I think persistent was the word. I, I remember you as a player. I remember you could pass a ball like nobody uh, else. I, I thought you were a great passer of the ball as, as a kid. I, I literally was someone that was relentless. Like I, I came to America and I wasn't even, I was okay. And I just worked hard to get better and better. So I remember all the players that were better than me growing up. And I'm like, I just, I stayed in the race longer. That was it. So that was, uh, that was the key to any success I had, if you can call it that. That's definitely a lesson to, uh, to any of the, the kids listening. It's a good, uh, it's, it's good advice. So in Dublin, you played for St. Kevin's and Stella Maris, uh, in Dublin, and before that, you had oh, sorry, after that, then you had stints with Bray and Monaghan. The Irish League is like kind of renowned for being tough. Uh, how did you find it at that time? It was more tough. I, th- I think the Irish League is moving in a really good direction now with the academies and everything. But yeah, when I was when I was 17, 18, I, I went to Bray, and um, it seemed like everybody was six foot six at Bray, and uh, they, no, nobody had a very good first touch, but they could all hammer you with their second touch, if that makes sense. So I, I was pretty intimidated. I, I don't think I was ready for that level even, particularly physically, um, but maybe not technically either. So it, it, it was tough. And my one memory is uh, Tom O'Connor was my, my coach at, uh, at Monaghan, and I played in, a, played in a preseason friendly. I got the ball at left back, and I played it into midfield. And I was really happy with myself. I said, that was a good ball. And uh, Terry Murphy was the midfielder, and he lost it. And I said, Terry's got to be better there. And at halftime, I went in. And Tom absolutely ripped me to shreds. It was, why did you pass the ball into midfield? And that kind of pretty much summed up, you know, wow. League of Ireland at that time. It was, do not pass into midfield, bypass midfield. And um, yeah, I, I mean, look, this is not me saying I was better than anybody else. It, it just wasn't the way I was going to play and fit in. So after those couple of years, I decided, yeah, America, education, that's going to be a good step for me. Yeah, it's, it definitely sounds like it's the uh, Jack Charlton School of Football. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did the scholarship? Uh, did, was it Augusta you went to? Yeah, it was. A, I had a couple of. Um, I didn't finish. I left school early to do uh, a home farm course under Liam Tui, and um, I, I would say that's where I started to become a better player, more understanding, and uh, a couple of colleges had seen me play. 
and I, I hadn't finished my leaving cert, so they they called me and they went, yeah, we'll have you over full scholarship. And I went, great. And they went, we'll just need a copy of your leaving cert. And I was like, well, what, what's that now? You know, I had no concept of, you know, what the situation was. So I actually had to go back and do my leaving cert at night. And uh, so within that year period, I was at Monaghan. I was doing my leaving cert at night. And it kind of prepared me well for coming to America and uh, and going to Augusta. Yeah, famous for golf. But uh, hopefully I did enough to put a little bit of their soccer on the map as well. Not really, if you watch me then. <laughs> so, so you then had a stint with... Uh, Portland Timbers and Harrisburg. What was it like playing in the States? Like I know you kind of said there that uh, Ireland was a kind of different kettle of fish. Did you find the standard or the, the, the style of play a lot easier for you to, to, to get going with? Yeah, I, I became a much better player. Look, when I came to America into college, I wasn't good enough to play at League of Ireland level. That's just being completely honest with you. But at the college game, they wanted you to play. So all of a sudden, people were saying, hey, you can get on the ball. You can pass it. And it, it, it allowed me to become better technically. It was a much more enjoyable game. I was playing against players my age. So I wasn't being you know, physically dominated. And it allowed me to physically develop. I mean, you remember, Anthony, at home, I don't remember any club at that time having like a, a weight training center or, or involving any of that aspect of the game. You know, you oh, go to America, yeah, every every college has these facilities. And um, I went to Cal State Bakersfield for my last two years. And after that, you know, I had the chance to sign for Portland Timbers. I was ready then. And, and then I could have been a League of Ireland player, but it was, you know, credit to the college game. And, and again, my commitment to work hard for sure. But it, it, it was it was definitely the way uh, they allowed you to play, and the fact that the facilities gave me somewhere to work and, and and make sure that I was physically ready as well. So great time in my life, and I'll never forget that uh, that opportunity. So what did you uh, what did you major in? I made you know I think it might, I don't know if, if I'll send this link to my dad, but I think my dad might have been like, "What would you study?" And just to prove a point, I picked what I thought would be the hardest one. I picked finance. And uh, I got my degree in finance. And at the time, I have no idea why I picked finance. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm glad I did. I enjoyed I enjoyed studying it. Um, but yeah, it was like I, all the other players were doing, you know, I, I don't know what kind of degrees, but just a little bit of an easier route. And there's me and the, all these math classes going, why am I not just going the easier, easier run? But I wanted to prove a point. And um, yeah, hopefully the point was proved. That's not too funny. Like just making your life harder for no reason. Just just to prove the point for somebody who doesn't care. <laughs> so so then uh, I, I guess uh, Wall Street's loss was uh, football <laughs> commentating's gain. Uh, you moved into broadcasting. So who like who gave you your first shot at commentating? Yeah, so it, it was weird. Like it was it was random. Uh, I was playing for Portland, and I had a teammate called Brent Sancho. So if anybody watched the 2006 World Cup, uh, he scored the own goal against England for Trinidad, which he, he doesn't like me reminding him. I know, it's like the worst friend ever just calling yeah, him out. as he said, he scored an own goal at the World Cup. I scored them at the park every weekend. So um, <laughs> but basically, basically, he was playing in a game against Bahrain, which was a, a World Cup elimination game, you know, the final two teams playing for that last spot. And uh, I was training with the LA Galaxy because we had a – uh, a loose relationship, Portland and LA then. And this guy came up to me, Nick Webster, and he said, um, he was at Fox at the time, and he said, you played with Brent Sancho, right? 
I said, yeah. And he said, hey, would you be able to put me in contact with him and, you know, uh, talk about the game because I'm going to call the game next week? I said, yeah, no problem. And then he came back to me and he said, hey, do you want to call the game with me? And I remember thinking, no, it was just a default. No, I don't want to do that. And he was like, come on, it'd be a bit of a laugh. It's just me and you and nobody cares. And I was like, wow, I've never done it before. And he goes, ah, come on. Like, luckily, it was someone I knew. Like, Nick was was a nice guy. He was, uh, he was someone that you could sit and have a chat with. So I said, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a go. And so I did it and thought nothing of it. Did both legs, thought nothing of it. And about two months later, uh, got a call. Hey, do you want to come back in and do some more stuff? So, yeah, it, it was there. That first year, I, I, I look back because I did a lot of on-camera stuff. And if I look back, and I'm glad there's not footage of it. Cause I was abysmal on camera. Like, I mean, wherever the camera was pointing, I was looking in a different direction. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking like, I was trying to say things that I'd heard on television rather than what I was thinking. And I was going, oh, it was such, it was such bad television from me. And then I remember that summer saying to myself, oh, you've ruined that chance. But I was like, if you ever get the chance again, make sure you enjoy it. That was my message to myself. And, and lo and behold, I got a chance again. And, and even one of my producers early on said, well, you, you're much more relaxed this year. And, and it was the truth. I had said, I'm going to talk like I'm talking to a friend. And, and ever since then, I've, I've really enjoyed what I do. And certainly now that I'm blessed to be involved in it because there's so many other people that could do this job as well. So, uh, so there's no way to get that footage of the first year. <laughs> there probably is, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, just, it'd be just like you to sound like Big Ron Atkinson or something, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing because I've told other people too, and we had some people come in two, three years in, and you know they've said to me, "I've gone. This guy is going to be unbelievable on camera," and then the camera goes on, and they're completely different people. It, it, it is a different. It's a different animal. And it's like, it's probably like anything else. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. But that first time, that second time, wow, it's it's tough. So if there is footage, I'm going to find it. And I'm going to burn it. And uh, I'll watch it one last time. But then I'll burn it. I certainly won't be sharing with you. Uh, not if I get there first, pal. Uh, <laughs> so, so you had a kind of gig. Was it Fox Football Friday? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you were not stereotypical in the slightest. You were like the barman or something. <laughs> uh, so was that a character that you created or did the show create it for you? No, the, sh- the, the show created it. And the, the funny thing is some people, it's mainly Irish people come up to me like, it's it's crazy how you went from being a barman to being a commentator. And I'm going, it wasn't really a barman. It wasn't really a bar. Like, but you know, if, if that's how you want to tell the story, great. It's, it, it's fine by me. No, it was, it, again, it was Nick. Nick was producing the show and he was like, hey, I might have you in the background, you know, We'll pay you. Uh, and I said, you know, if I'm getting paid, I'll do it. Yeah, for sure. And then all of a sudden it was fans were coming in. He was like, hey, let's interview a couple of fans. And uh, what was what was really funny is I think the first time they had me do an interview, you know, a mic flag, which kind of shows you what channel it's on, where it says Fox Soccer on the mic flag. Yeah. I, I put it on the mic upside down. So, so Nick was in my ear going – my flag's upside down. It's upside down by <laughs> live on television. So, and later on, I'm like, how was the interview? And he's like, the interview was great, but the mic flag was upside. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was comical, you know, but, um, yeah, it was fun times cause it was, it was off the cuff. And, um, I got to meet a lot of cool people who, who, you know, back then Fox was like a, um, 
almost like a, a, a channel for those, you know, real diehards, you know, only the people that would get up at 6 a.m. It wasn't as mainstream now uh, as the Premier League is in America. So you got to meet some really cool people from all corners of America and Canada that, that just absolutely love the sport. So um, memories that I'll never forget. And, you know, that certainly played a part in me getting to where I am now. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it was a lot of fun. Um, like a, just hanging out with talking football, football and getting paid for it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what 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 more could you ask for? It was, um, yeah, it was incredible. I'm watching. I, I I always say, and to this day, I say it. If if someone stopped paying me to to call these games, I'd still be watching them and, and doing them. So, how many people have a job where you could tell people you're not getting paid for that job anymore? They would still, you know, have that as part of their life. That that's that's how I kind of try sum it up. And um, yeah, from day one, I I know how lucky I am because. I don't think I'm better than anybody else or, or worse than anyone else. I, I just think I'm lucky to be in this position. And, and because of that, I'm, I'm never going to not work hard to kind of be prepared when I'm, when I'm on, on a game or on air. Just make sure you don't end up like the guy in office space where like they're, you start to work and you're not getting paid. <laughs> I'm, I'm in my home office right now. So it is kind of like that. I've got my own stapler here and uh, little things like that. So this is this very, very, well be where it ends up but uh i'm, I'm not quite there just yet <laughs> <laughs> so like how amazing is it to be like like calling the games and then you look over and you see like the likes of, like warren barton casey keller like is it such a such a an amazing thing that like everybody would kind of want to do like do you have to pinch yourself sometimes and go like what the hell am i doing here yeah, 100%. And and for me, it's if you ever lose that, you're not human. You know, it's um, it's I, I, I'm a I will always be a football fan. I remember I had like a, a really passionate uh, kind of speed. I had my Jerry Maguire moment with one of my bosses because I think people know I'm a Liverpool fan. And uh, I called the Manchester United run to the Europa League final for Fox. And uh he said, do you have any issue? And I was like, no. I, for me, I call games. I said, everybody supports somebody. You never, you should never lose that. You should never lose that little buzz about a certain team. But when it comes to being on air or on camera, you you know you're a professional. Um, and I'd say, if anything, you're almost uh, harder on your own team than you would be on other teams. But but yeah, I mean, looking at Warren, you know, I'll never, I'll never tire of, I mean, I, we did a Zoom happy hour last night and, you know, just just hearing stories about, you know, back in the day, we were still, we were talking about, uh, Jovan Karofsky was on the call with us. We were talking about Keegan blowing up when he was at Newcastle and Warren kind of going, oh, why are we bringing this? You know, it, it, was, it, it was just fun, you know, because um, f- from being a fan and watching that to, to now sitting alongside and hearing stories about, you know, him being a player, we're all ultimately just deep down young young, young fans who, who grew up wanting to play a game and he played at a, a much higher level but uh when you when you strip it all apart he still has that same love for the game that i have as well so it's uh it, it's great to work with people like that on a daily basis and and uh, i'll never take it for granted so uh what what's more glamorous uh Kulak or hollywood <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> I I love where I'm from. Um, I, I I love Kulak. Like I mean, I know I know. I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, there's an element of it that keeps you grounded and, and keeps you humble in what you do. Um, so I love going back to Kulak. Nobody nobody's interested in what you do or where you live or anything like that. It's you know it, it's it's a great spot. But 
it will never have the weather that Hollywood has, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm here in my t-shirt and shorts. I'll go out the back a little bit later on and sit out and, and have a, a, a late dinner. Nothing, nothing beats the weather in LA. So Kulak has everything for me. Great. Northside Shopping Center, Super Quinn Sausages, all of that. But the weather in Hollywood, come on. It's not, not even close. Well, well, it snowed here in Halifax last week, so... <laughs> Well, you're, you're, the, you're, the cra- you're the crazy one, right? Because when I was coming over here, I said, if I'm going to move, I'm going to do something completely different. So many Irish people I knew moved to Boston. And uh, I said, that's like basically moving across the street. And I've been to Boston, and Boston's more Ireland than Ireland is. It's, you know, so I said, if I'm gone, I'm going somewhere sunny. Um, being a ginger, that was a bold, bold move. But uh, I, I certainly haven't regretted it. Oh God! So, so do they do they order in like uh, factor one fifty just for you? The, the the first I I was in America for three or four days, and the first game I ever played was in Georgia, and it was one hundred and four degrees, and they said it was a heat index of like one fifteen or something, and I just remember that feeling afterwards, like people were eating pizza, the player, and I couldn't eat. All I wanted was wow. cold, like it was just. And uh, I remember someone in my family said, well, your complexion wasn't built for that kind of life. But um, yeah, look, my legs tan a little bit. The rest of me still goes seven different shades of pink. Um, I'll, never, I'll never have that bronze Hollywood tan, but I can sit in the shade and, and still enjoy the, the lifestyle over here as much as possible. You, you've obviously got to interview um, a, a lot of people like, you know, Jurgen Klopp, Mourinho, Virgil van Dijk, you know, like a lot of like top people. It, this is a difficult question, but what's been your favorite interview you've done so far? I mean, I, all of the interviews are, are fun because, it, again, it's, again, the fan in you comes out and you want to hear players. I, I mean, I've, I've always found, like, the bigger the player, almost the more humble they are, um, if that makes sense. Like, they're, they're, they have a, a healthy respect for the position they're in. Van Dijk was, was a... It was amazing. Um, it was after his debut against Everton, and, and he was just so humble. And um, Klopp is exactly what is advertised. That's how he is. Um, Mourinho is is what you expect. He's um, he's feisty, um, but he's an incredible talker. He, he gives he gives incredible answers when you ask him about you know his journey. Um, but I, I would say I don't know. One of the funnest ones for me was when Robbie Keane came here and and. Uh, you know, I, I struck up a, a good friendship with Robbie because, you know, being Irish and being uh, being in L.A., we have a kind of small community. And we, we did an interview on Sunset Boulevard together. And it was it was kind of funny. You know, we, we sat for a minute and then we walked around. He had little Robert with him. And um, we were laughing because it was like, look at us, like, you know, uh, two Dublin lads sitting on Sunset being filmed, having a, just shooting the shooting the, the bridge, you know. So it was... Uh, that was an interview that I live long in the memory. Uh, when I went to Poland, I interviewed Robbie a lot as well when they were at the Euros. So um, th- that meant a lot to me because Robbie is someone that I think has been a great ambassador for the game back home. And he's someone that I look up to. So to, to have the ability to sit with him was, was a real honor. So uh, I'm extremely jealous. Like I'm a sports fan. So like, do you get into to talk to the legend that, that's Robbie Keane is uh, that's really cool. Um, so do, do you think, to speak to Robbie, do you think he'll be Ireland manager someday? Yeah, I, I think, look, I think he's a, he's a hungry guy. Um, you know, I was just back doing doing courses with the, the Irish um, FA uh, 
was it early this year or late last year? I, I don't even know what year it is anymore with the way this is. But uh, <laughs> I think it was last November or December. Look, it, what, what I love about Robbie is um, uh, Robbie Robbie's someone that um, respects the process, right? So he could have tried to use the name to go straight into a head coaching job, but he's been an assistant at Middlesbrough. He's learning his trade, the same with Ireland. Uh, and I think... I think his ambitions to be at the highest level coaching as well, and and look look at look at how he was as a player. He showed no fear, um, and I think he'll be the same as a coach. So, yeah, I think uh, he and I, I spoke with. I was actually speaking with Robbie Fowler, not to name drop, but Robbie's another one who's done a who's done a really good job coaching. Going to Brisbane, uh, going outside their comfort zone. I always respect people like that that have done that. Nothing nothing handed to them, um, and and because of that, I, I definitely think. Um, Robbie Fowler will, and I think Robbie Keane will as well, become excellent coaches in the game. And um, I, I think any young player would want to learn from people that have been through what they've been through. Yeah, I mean, like just like you look at Robbie Keane, like right up to the end of his playing career, like he just loves scoring goals. Like no matter whether it was in India, the Galaxy, or for Liverpool or Celtic or wherever, like he just always had a smile on his face when he scored goals. Um, I, I think if he could, he'd probably just play until he drops. You know, it's you know, uh, it's, it's exactly. So I'll, I'll give you a funny story about Robbie. Um, I'm good friends with Jassy Zardes, who I'd, I'd actually coached, who plays for Columbus Crew and the U.S. national team. And and Jassy Jassy played on with with Robbie, came through under Robbie. And uh, you know, at first he was like, "Man, Robbie's intense. He's, he's everything is about you. Got to fight. You got to win. Like he's so." You, you know, you don't mess with Robbie kind of thing. And uh, I, rem- I remember Jassy calling me one day. Robbie had gone and Jassy was still there and uh, he, he'd become an international. And Jassy called me and he goes, hey, give me a call. And he was like, Robbie was right, man. Like, players have got to fight. And and Jassy was seeing it from his side, becoming a player a little bit older. And uh, and Jassy, Jassy told me what I think is an incredible story about him and Robbie. They were doing finishing practice together um, at the Galaxy. And uh, Jassy said they both scored four or five in a row. And, uh, you know, Jassy said he was thinking to himself, man, I'm, a, I'm in good form today. And he was kind of patting himself on the back a little bit. And he said he turned around and Robbie was over talking to the goalkeeper, Jaime Pinedo, who is the Panama goalkeeper. And Jassy said he walked over to hear what he was saying. And Robbie was complaining to Jaime that he wasn't working hard enough. So Robbie wasn't happy that the goals were going in. He wanted Jaime to do more to stop the goals going in. And that, that for me encapsulates what Robbie Keane is. He's an absolute competitor and he'll he'll do whatever it takes to be at the very top. Wow, that's that's incredible. Um yeah, I, I mean like as you said, he's a great ambassador for the game in Ireland and like his time the Galaxy was an unbridled success. So um he he has to be one of the like the, the best imports that the MLS has ever seen. Oh hundred percent you know I, I used to be bothered by the fact that um you know if Ireland would would, would lose a tight game to really top level opposition you you get some of the the pundits back home saying we need more from Robbie Keane and and it would really really annoy me I'd say no we need more from everybody else Robbie <laughs> Robbie needs more from his teammates because so many times he, he he bailed Ireland out and um one of the first interviews I did with Robbie I said you know do you feel like maybe you're underappreciated in the in in the one country that you would would think you're revered in terms of you know being a top level footballer, which is Ireland. And he said, he, he didn't, he was like, no, you know, my job is to work as hard for this team and to score goals. And that's all I'm ever going to do. So, um, but for me, I, I do think 
in Ireland, we have a habit of doing that, don't we? Which is even with yeah. U2 and music, you know, um, <laughs> Robbie Keane and football, we always begrudge the, the ones who, who do the very best at their, uh, at their, you know, chosen profession. And uh, maybe we shouldn't actually do that. But I, I think Robbie was still very humble about it and was, you know, grounded and, and, and wouldn't talk that way. But for me, I felt he could have been even more appreciated by the Irish fan base. Oh, we very much have a doubt. Like, and you're right. It's just we're we're a nation of begrudges, Unfortunately, it's uh, you're right about like like poor Bono gets an awful time. <laughs> so, like as you mentioned there, you're uh, you you were getting your coaching badges and all that kind of stuff. Is that something that you want to get into yourself? Yeah, I, I mean, look, uh, commentary is 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 difficult because how can you prove that you're you're good at commentary? It's 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 basically it's subjective. It's, you know, you have an opinion. Someone else might say, Oh, I, I like Keith. Someone might say, Oh, I think he's terrible. And there's no, there's no black and white, you know, coaching for me is you can look to build a team. You have an identity, you win games and it's pretty clear if you're a good coach or not. Um, so yeah, I've, I've coached, I've worked with us soccer as a scout uh, for the national team pools. Um, I have my UEFA a license. I think that helps you in commentary as well. Um, so all, all of those things, for, for me, I strive to learn. You know, I, I think if you if you stop trying to be educated in what you do, you, you're going to stand still and people are going to pass you by. So I think it helps me in everything. But yeah, I, I definitely have a love and, and a desire for coaching and, and working with players. And um, it's something that I've tried to do over the last couple of years and will continue to do. Well, we've got the, uh, the, the CPL, the Canadian Premier League, started here last year. Um, so they've just... Uh, to start with seven teams, they've got eight now. Like I'd let's go. Madrid bought a team in in Ottawa, so we might see you uh, coaching in Canada. No, if if I get a job in Halifax, is it okay to stay with you for a bit and save a little bit? Or <laughs> I'll uh, I'll clean up the basement, man. You can you can hang out down there with the cat. <laughs> so so as you mentioned later on, there you you are a, a massive Liverpool fan. Where did the where did the love of Liverpool come from? We, but back when we were growing up, though, like was it a bandwagon thing because Liverpool were a great team back then, or was it like something specific that got you into them? No, I, I mean, look, I'm sure that played into it. Um, I I remember like at six and seven, you don't really understand why you support a team. I don't think, um, but I do remember I used to copy my brother a lot, and uh, you know he'd say he would do something, I'd be like, I'm going to do it, and I always remember him saying. I support Liverpool, and I, and I said, well, I support Liverpool too, and he was like, Hat, well, I support Man United. And I said, well, I support Liverpool. Um, so it was the one time I kind of went against them. I stuck with Liverpool. Um, and, you know, I, my earliest memories are, uh, you know, Rushy scoring a hat-trick at Villa Park. Um, the Sunday newspaper giving out a free a free colour picture of, of Rushy in that yellow kit. You remember the, the all yellow with the red stripe Liverpool jersey? Yeah. Um, so so th- those are my earliest memories. I remember watching... Uh, the champions or the European Cup final in '84, uh, where Phil Neal scored. Um, so, so it, it was just I was little things that you know when you're young, like the all red kind of is striking as well, or the all yellow. So I was I was kind of like taken by that too. And I, I remember I have a picture when I was young in, in an all red kit. So that might have played a part as well. Um, but I always always loved Liverpool. It was, I mean, I went to my first game in '86. As a as a nine year old, so um, yeah, I, I mean, once once I'd gone to Anfield, that was it. it there was never going to be a change for me. Um, and and it's you know when I go back to Liverpool now, I've 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 sat with the owners, and it, it was weird. The Champions League final last year in in Madrid, um, 
I was sat next to the, the I don't watch the show Homeland, is it? Or something? The, yeah. the red haired guy? Yeah. I don't even, I don't even yeah, know. Damien, uh, something or other, right? So, so that's him. So it was like, yeah. um, I was sitting next to him and all these people were like, you know, running around getting pictures with him and all. I had no clue who he was. I was like, I'm focused on the game, but it's like the after party, like, yeah, I got to, I got to spend time with the team and, you know, I, I'm, I'm chatting with players who played in the biggest games that I'd watched growing up. And it, it's just surreal to me. And, and it will never get old to me being around Liverpool. And I'll always support the club. And um, But yeah, those those early days, I, I mean, maybe it was just to go against my brother to be, uh, to be a, <laughs> a difficult little brother. But um, but I'm, I'm certainly glad whatever it was got me to Liverpool because, um, because I, I can't imagine my life without being a, a Liverpool supporter. Yeah, I always kind of remember Lee being a uh, United fan. So when you're kind of saying him saying he was Liverpool, I was like, what? So, so um, the 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 after party after the Champions League, like I I saw the pictures that you were posting, and I was just like, motherfucker. But uh, so so how how surreal was that? It it was like I've been I've been to a couple of so the the one the year before. Um, the team left straight away afterwards, but in, in Ukraine, we still had an after party and it was Spoonie was on the decks and, and John Barnes was doing Rapper's Delight. So <laughs> that was maybe even more surreal. And what, what was funny was um, I'd been in my suit all day because we actually had the rights to that final. So I'd, I'd, I'd been working it and doing some hits for Fox. So I'd got so sweaty that when I bent down, my, my suit ripped. So oh, wow. I, I was holding my suit together at the back and uh, it was it was hilarious, and um, yeah, it was just that night was nuts. But uh, in the build up in, in Madrid, um, I'd, I'd done some stuff with Ian Rush before, and Ian Rush's um, partner is is from Ireland, so we'd gone out a few times, and we were like, "Oh, if we win this, it's going to be mayhem." And we went we went back to the hotel after the after the uh, the final, and there was no you know not everybody knew the team was going to come out. And so we're in there and, and the, the, the guy gets up on the mic and he said, hey, couple of announcements, you know, be quiet on your way out. There's, there's other guests. And he said, and second announcement is, please welcome the European champions. And, you know, wow. they just had the, the Genie Wijnaldum song. And it was Van Dijk walking in with the trophy in his hand. They put it down, the whole team dancing around it. It, it it was an unbelievable night. It was it was absolutely incredible. Um, players mixing with everybody. It wasn't like a, you know, posing for. It, you know how sometimes players, I can understand feeling a little bit ill at ease because people are trying to catch them out and take pictures in difficult circumstances. It wasn't like that at all. The players were allowed to be themselves, spend time with their loved ones, and 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 the people around the club that had also played a part in in, in helping them get to the final. It, it was absolutely incredible, um, and and night. I almost missed my flight the next day. It was well worth it. It was a night I will never forget. We, we were out all night, and uh, yeah, what 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 an incredible occasion. Tottenham weren't staying in the same uh, hotel, were they? <laughs> no, no, they they weren't. And um, you know, one of, one of my good friends over here who who'd moved from England was a Tottenham fan, and I met up with him for for a couple of minutes in. Um, in uh, Madrid, but we were, at, I don't know if you're familiar with Madrid, there's a, there's Plaza Mayor, which is a big one, but there's a smaller one, Plaza Santa Ana. So we had gone up there to have a drink and it was Ian Rush's partner, myself, a couple of other big reds. And then 
my friend came and met, and obviously he's a big Tottenham fan, and it was kind of like, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> 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 so we kind of had a few went, see you later, Alex. That was his name and moved on. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was still a good occasion. I mean, for, for, for the banter and all, it was you know, what you hear about maybe English clubs coming together in Europe. And it, it was really good. And Tottenham fans were great as well. So it was, uh, it was, it was a night, like I said, that will live long in the memory and probably not for, not for Tottenham fans, but, but certainly for me. How amazing. Because I, I knew that when you were a kid, like, like Ian Rush was your hero. So yeah. uh, how, how, what's the, you're sitting there having a beer with the guy. Like what, what the hell? What, 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 <laughs> The first time was weird because um, I was in Boston when the, the owners actually introduced me, and uh, it was like after an event we'd, we'd done there. And um, I, I, to backtrack a little bit, I'd become really good friends with Tony Warner. I don't know whether you remember Tony. He was a yeah, back goalkeeper. Yeah, so so me and Tony had become really good friends, and it was Robbie Fowler and, and Rushy were out um, uh, with one of the Liverpool PR staff who I knew. So kind of got introed. And I said, I'd said to Robbie, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Tony Warner. And um, look, as, as players, you have to be careful about who you're talking to. You don't want it. But I think Rushy might have relayed a message back to Tony and or, or Robbie did. And everything was good. So, you know, within 20 or 30 minutes, we were all having a drink together. And, and since then, you know, every time they've been over or, or been around, we've been able to you know, have a drink and, and not, not just even chat football, chat other stuff as well, like, you know, banter and, you know, ripping on certain things. And um, so, but yeah, a, a, again, there is still a point where I'm going, uh, my rounds, what are you having? What are you having rushy? And then I'm going to my head, what the hell? You, you're going to get, you know, that kind of thing. It's uh, it's funny, but it wouldn't work if, if they weren't real, honest, good people. You know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't, you couldn't sit with someone who's, who's not, humble um and not like a, a really good person deep down and all of those guys are, are just incredible incredible to deal with on a on a just you know one-on-one -on -one basis so it's enjoyable i'm still a fan i'll always be a fan of them i'll always get a little bit awestruck but uh but yeah they're great people so when you're talking about the banter there do you ever give robbie stick for that celebration <laughs> no, no. no, I mean, come on. what's his nickname? It's God, right? You don't, you don't make fun of God. <laughs> so, so do you, do you still uh, contribute to uh, Cop Magazine? No, you know, Cop Magazine is no more. So Chris McLaughlin does a lot of the the Matchday Magazine stuff. Um, great writer, does some great features. Um, it's funny when when I go back, we'll see each other in the press room, and you know, uh, we have mutual friends as well. Chris Mack is just. He's just a legend. Like he, I know he's a big St. Helens fan as, uh, as well, but massive red. And um, I used to, you know, as a writer, I was average. I used to love reading his stuff. Um, but he, he's still doing other stuff. But, yeah, unfortunately, the way things are now, you know, stuff in print doesn't seem to sell anymore because there's so much online. And, and unfortunately, the cop, um, the cop is no more. Well, that's kind of sad. Um, so, so, obviously, the... The league's on, the Premier League, sorry, is on uh, hiatus with, with COVID-19. So how do you think the league should be, like, finished off this year? I think you, you wait. Like, I I think it's it's almost like you know, these people that play, like, computer games and, like, let's just press reset. I'm like, that, that's not how it works. You know, it's, we don't need to worry about next season because we don't even know if we'll have a next season. So you don't go 29 games into a season and then say, let's scrap it, um, unless you're doing really bad. 
then that might be, you know, appealing to you. Um, but for me, no one team is going to have an advantage over another because everybody's in the same situation. And you know what? If you're if you're 16th or 17th in the table right now, it's because you put yourself there with how you played in the first 20, 27, 28, or 29 games. So for me, it's when it's when it's um, when it's possible, when it's safe, you go back on the field, you complete this season, and, and then you start looking at next year. But um, I think it has to be the integrity of it. it has to be you, you do it on the field. If not, I've heard points per game. Um, I think, look, not just saying it because they're a Liverpool fan, I think most people would agree that would be fair to, to crown a champion because Liverpool are so far ahead. But I don't think it would be fair for a team that are, you know, in 18th position right now, one point, you know, off safety because there's so much on the line with relegation teams. And I think on that end, more than anything, you have to have these games being played. And, and the same at the championship, Leeds... God, you don't want to go through 37 games and then be told it all counts for nothing. That That's completely unfair. Um, they've earned the right to put themselves in the Premier League and, and they, they have earned the right to, to give themselves, to push themselves over the line. But again, I want to play, but but when it's safe for everybody. So um, I know you've been practicing Spanish. Uh, how's that coming along for you? Yeah, my, my Spanish is my Spanish is pretty good. Uh, I work with Deportes as well. I, I cover Liga MX games. So... Um, yeah, I have, I have a couple of Irish friends who speak good Spanish. Uh, in, in Ireland, in the wisdom of, of our country, we're, uh, we, we do Irish growing up. So when we hit out, the, out to the world, we can speak to nobody else in Irish. Um, but uh, Spanish here is so important um, in, in California. Um, so I've, I've been at it every single day. My Deportes boss has been messaging me messages of encouragement. Um, so that's good. And my, my goal is one day to call a game in Spanish. I'm, I'm way away from that right now, but, but hopefully that can happen one day. Yeah, you might even get like a little sponsorship from uh, Duolingo over too. Huh? <laughs> I'm using Rosetta right now. Maybe I shouldn't have even told you that because then ruin that for me. But whoever wants to sponsor me, that's good. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> So I, I just have a couple of uh, couple of final questions for you, bud. Yeah. Uh, so your top five Liverpool players of all time. Oh, that's tough. You know, like so our age growing up, uh, I'm sure you remember him. Steve McMahon was yeah. was one of my first heroes because I thought he was he, he had a hard edge in midfield, but but great great footballer. Um, so Steve McMahon will be one. Uh, John Barnes because he he just he just got me on my feet like watching him play. He was just absolutely electric. Uh, Rushy, uh, three, and then phew, that is tough. Um, I have to go with Robbie Fowler, um, just because when he broke through, I remember looking on, on CFAX. That's how old I am. Looking on CFAX, <laughs> before, and, and he scored five goals in a game. So I'd say, I definitely say Robbie Fowler, and then um, phew, fifth. I'll go Steve McManaman as well. I, I think he's the most underrated, and, and that 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 partnership was. You know, McManaman and Fowler was so good. And because we didn't win the league at that time, it probably gets pushed away. But but those were those were the ones that I grew up watching and, and, and I loved watching. So so those would be the five. Obviously, Gerard and all, you know, all the other great players. But those are the five that meant something to me when I was at games and watching those games. So no Gerard or Carragher. We're not going to see you on Sky Sports anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apart from Anfield, your favourite ground? Ooh. Apart from Anfield, uh, the Bernabeu is, is, is a good one. Um, incredible atmosphere. 
I never got I never got to go to Atletico Madrid's old stadium, but the one the Metropolitano is unreal as well. Away from Anfield. I, I, I love, I mean, you're going to call me a homer, but I love being with the Sounders at home in CenturyLink. I, I think the final last year was absolutely incredible in MLS, the atmosphere, um, just just how the, the whole city got behind the team. So definitely CenturyLink over here. But in Europe, Anfield for sure. And, and I would say behind that would be the Bernabeu as, as a stadium that just, you, you can walk in and it almost has an atmosphere even when it's it's empty, even when it's filling up, there's just an aura about that place. Nice, some good choices there. So, since you've moved to uh, California, you're all kind of fancy favorite. Ooh, I still like Indian. I love um, myself and the missus got chicken tikka masala the other day. We 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 got a sauce and we well, she made it. I didn't make it. I'm not a very good cook, so she made it chicken tikka masala. So I love I love Indian. I love Mexican too, um, and I love sushi, which. Doesn't go over well back home. I took my mom out for sushi last time at a oh, wow. rustic, you know, Dylan McGraw's place on Georgia Street. Yeah, she wasn't the biggest fan. I got to be completely honest, um, but I enjoyed it. So sushi for sure. But when I'm back home, um, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm going on the on the lookout for sushi in Dublin too much. <laughs> Man, you didn't, you didn't say like your your mom's Sunday dinner. You know what my mom does really well? And the one thing that I think every Irish person misses is breakfast. You have a proper oh, breakfast. And uh, I treat myself to that every now and again. Um, but God, there's no way you could eat an Irish breakfast every day of your life. You would die. You would kill over and die. I don't know how Irish people do it. Maybe the alcohol, I, I don't know, breaks it up. And, um, but but I like having it occasionally, but that's the one meal when I go home, I'll say to my mom, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a breakfast. I think I think it's all the tea just kind of flushes your system out. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, final question, uh, favorite football movie? God, do I have a favorite football movie? Um, you're, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to help me here. Give me, give me some football yeah. movies. You're not. You're not allowed to say goal. That bloody thing that they <laughs> created. Uh, so um, the Dam United escape, escape to escape, escape from victory, escape to victory. Escape. Uh, I remember escape to victory. Yeah, that was a good one. Go on. And, and I know Bender like Beckham wasn't bad. See, I, I'm asking you the question. You're not supposed to be asking me the question. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, like for me, uh, escape, escape to victory is probably my. My favorite one, because just because of the cast, it was a terrible movie. But the um... and any 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 movie that had Sylvester Stallone saving a penalty has got to be good. Right? <laughs> um, you know, it was just like and I remember Pele giving the team talk, "Give me the ball, I go here, 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 here." So I'll, I'll go for that. I, I love the. Doc- I think some of the documentaries out right now. I love the Maradona documentary. I thought it was incredibly well done. Um, some of that footage of him in Naples, but. I love Bender like Beckham for the message in it, but I think yeah, I escaped the victory. Bobby Moore was Bobby Moore in it as well. So yeah, well, come on, Ozzy Ardiles doing the, the flick Warfield. over the head. John Warwick. Yeah, yeah. That, that that mustache made him win it alone. I think. To be <laughs> <laughs> so so um, yeah. So the, the, my, my, one of my other favorites. I just looked at this there. Mike Bassett, England manager. That was a pretty good movie. Oh my god, I don't think I've seen that's the yeah. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen oh, it. It's, it's funny as fuck. You should watch yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I won't spoil it. It's a good movie. Uh, so, Keith, thank you so much for taking time out to, to come and chat. Football has been great catching up. 
Um, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and we will hopefully talk soon. Yeah, and anytime. And, and, and great catching up and uh, take care through this. And hopefully... Just before I let you go, sorry, uh, where can people find you on social media? People, if you have good comments, you can find me at Keith Costigan. And if you, if you have any bad comments, direct them straight to, straight to you. Um, I don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm really active on Twitter, you know, um, trolls stay away. I'll, I'll converse with you in any way about football. Um, but yeah, Twitter, Twitter is the main one. If you're an MLS fan, you know, Sounders games and, and I'm Fox as well. So um, feel free to reach out and, you know, let's, let's chat some football. Yeah, can't wait for you to be back on the air. And uh, no United fans need to reach out to him on social media. <laughs> Take care, Keith. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, pal. Cheers. The second part of the show is sponsored by the Armchair Commentary Podcast, recorded right here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Join co-host Dave Smith and Mr. Baseball himself, Steve Steele, as they talk all things baseball, NFL, and ice hockey. The Armchair Commentary is available wherever you get your podcasts. We are joined by New Valor signing and Belfast native, uh, Daryl Fordyce. Uh, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined by regular contributor Carlos Benitez. Welcome, Carlos. Well, thank you, Anthony, for having me again, and thank you, Daryl, for coming to the pod. So, uh, first question I have for you, uh, Daryl, is um, so you were playing on the Irish Riviera in Sligo. Um, why did you give up that beautiful weather to move to Winnipeg? What a beautiful place Sligo is, by the way. <laughs> the, we- the weather wouldn't be that nice but whenever you do get good weather what a what a lovely lovely place to be honest right on the ocean but no me and my, my family we really enjoyed it there but our plan was always to come back to canada we we want to live in canada and that, that was the whole the whole reason of coming back my wife uh she still had her job here she was off maternity and luckily they held her job for her until we get back here and, and the timing was right so Again, the reason to come back and, and to leave Sligo was it didn't matter who I was playing for last year. If the opportunity was to come back to Canada, then, then we were going to take it. So how did, they, uh, how did the, the chance come up? Were you kind of like looking for the, the position yourself or did, like, did Valor reach out to you and say, hey, like, you know, we know you're from SC Edmonton, do you want to come play? Yeah, well, uh, I spoke to Rob Gale um, last year before the CPL started. Um, but again, my wife just, we just had a, a baby. Um, we wanted to go home to, uh, as I speak, my son's just running to the room. <laughs> uh, no, we, we wanted to go home and see family for a while. It's her firstborn. So, uh, it was great to spend time with family, you know, in Belfast. And I was looking for something, something back in Ireland or in Belfast or somewhere like that. And Sligo came up. So that's how we ended up in Sligo. Yeah, so I spoke to Rob, um, obviously, before the CPL started, and uh, that was a way back in, I think I might have been September time or so, 2000, what was that, 2018? Uh, yeah, a month after my son was born, and um, obviously, we were still in Edmonton at the time, but uh, we decided that the season wasn't starting until uh, April time, and... The Ari season, pre-season, would have been starting in January with the season starting in uh, February. You know, so it was either go back, uh, sign for a Northern Irish club and start playing games in January 
or sign for a Southern Irish club and start pre-season then. And that's whenever the Sligo, I was training with Limfield and Lauren at the time just to stay fit. And then an agent that I was working with who's from Hollywood, just outside Belfast, he called me and, and said, you know, what about Sligo? Went down. But again, I played there for the year and... During the off-season here, uh, Rob sent me an email just to see what my plans were. Um, obviously, I had to go through sending videos of the past season, stats, things like that. Um, obviously, with my age now, 33, you know, coaches have to take cautionary measures um, just to make sure that you're, you're still healthy in that. So, yeah, I spoke with, with Rob. Um, Again, Sligo, I was in talks with Sligo still. I was in talks with Larne um, and a couple of other teams, but I said to Rob just before Christmas, look, let's get this done because there's teams that want me here. And the Irish preseason starts in January and Northern Irish teams want me that are, they want me to start playing in January, you know, so I've got to make a decision. And I spoke with Rob and and Damien, the assistant manager, and we, and we got things agreed. So that's that's how Fowler came about. And again, as soon as the, the contract was off, offered, I spoke to my wife and, and jumped at it because, again, we wanted to be back in, back in Canada. So did you know Rob previously, or is it just he, he kind of knew you from the fair you were at Edmonton? Yeah, um, I knew of Rob, obviously. Um, he coached the Canada under-17s, and while I was, I was at Edmonton at the time, there was a couple of players there that played for the under-17s with Canada. And I also played with Chris Twardick at Sligo, who was coached by Rob when he was in the Canadian team, the younger teams. Um, so, yeah, I knew of Rob, and Rob obviously knew of me from playing with Edmonton. And we kept in touch over 2019. And then once the season finished at Sligo, that's whenever we sort of got the ball rolling. And it was... You know, it was around Christmas time. I just, I says to Rob, look, if, if something's to be done, it, you know, it needs to be done now. And, and thankfully... You had several day, uh, years in FC Edmonton. This was before the CPL started. Now, it's not a new Edmonton. It's the same club, but has a new rebranding and everything. Tailor it to the CPL. Um, now you're playing for Valor. Was it any consideration to coming back to FC Edmonton? Because, you know, you're kind of like a legend there. You had several times there. Uh, was, an, uh, was it an approach from from managers over there towards you in regards to if you can play there or was Valor the virtuals? To be totally honest, I didn't hear anything from Edmonton. And again, uh, I'd already had kept in contact with Rob Gale over the 2019 and and Rob's the one that showed interest in, in showed interest in me um, made me feel valued as a player still and you know it's it's someone that I want to I want to play for from speaking to him you know so whenever Rob made the made the offer um, again I spoke with my wife and we made the decision pretty quickly um, there was a couple of CPL sort of hemming and handing um, but again as soon as Rob made the offer uh, that's the one that it, that it took right away that's great that's great that uh, he 
he was in contact with you and he considered you for the new roster for 2020. Um, yeah. That uh, makes you feel uh, valuable and as a player, you know, that uh, it was your first choice and total respect that. Um, go for it, Anthony. Yeah. Um, so have you had a have you had a chance to train with any of the the players yet? Yeah, we were tra we were training. I think we had two weeks in training, um, two or three weeks. I'm not too sure what it was, but again, the first week was all fitness testing, yo-yo tests, a lot of shuttle runs, and a, a little bit of ball work, um, some possession games and that. But yeah, I trained with most of the team. Uh, in those first two, three weeks, the first week we had a lot of trialists in. Um, they were assessing the trialists to see if any of them uh, were going to make it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've trained with the team the first two to three weeks and, you know, it, it looks good. I'm excited. Um, the, the managers made some excellent signings and, you know, every player seems like from the first few weeks we're going we're gonna to work together and, and work for each other and, and just put in a lot of work for the... The season ahead, shall I come? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That, like you, you know, you, you just have to have faith, I guess, right? So, so obviously, like last year was the first season, the inaugural season for the CPL. Did you get to see any games? And uh, what did you think? If you did, what did you think of the standard of the league? Yeah, I got to see a few games. Again, a lot of the games would have been played while I was sleeping. Um, back in Ireland, <laughs> um, but yeah, I always looked at the the highlights things like that and always spoke to players that I've played with in the past at Edmonton you know there's a there's a few players that's still with Edmonton there's a couple of players that were at Pacific and Calgary last year um, but yeah the the standard looks pretty good and it's going to grow every year you know it's going to um, there's going to be more quality players coming in each, each season um, but again I think the most important thing for the league is to, to grow the Canadian talent as well um, whether that's whatever way that's going to happen to bring in some foreign players to help the Canadian players or to just keep putting in the Canadian players or sort of a bit of both, you know, whatever way it happens. It's, I think the, the sole goal is to uh, improve the Canadian players uh, and, and just keep building every year from it. So I think that's the main goal of the league. So, so when you were, so when you were with uh, Sligo last year, like I know that you said you played with uh, Chris Wardek and stuff. Uh, was there any kind of talks then, even about the league? Like, was like was Chris talking about it or anything like that? Like, was there any kind of buzz around as like another option for you guys uh, outside of of Ireland? Yeah, for sure. Uh, me and Chris used to always chat about it on the bus on the away games uh, or training. You know, we'd always talk about the, the games that went previous the previous weekend um, and as you know Chris is Canadian and I, I know he wants to play in Canada at some point but you know for me I think Chris has he's got so much more to give um, in Europe in my opinion uh, I think he can reach a level far greater than the than the CPL with his attributes that he has and you know I worked with him in in Sligo last year and built up a good relationship with him on the pitch. Um, I was going through my coaching badges last year as well, so I was trying to trying to help him improve his game also. And uh, and the one thing I tried to dr drum into him was, you know, hard work always pays off. And I think if you've seen the few, first few games of the season at Bohemians, 
you know, he was, he's been excellent for Bohemians this year. One of the standout players in the league. And for me, I think Chris can, can play at a much higher level than the CPL. But, you know, what you know, soccer is like, it's very unpredictable. Um, some players go higher and because of their attitudes and work rate. Some players, unfortunately, get injuries. They have to go down the ladder and things like that. Um, but for me, I think Chris has far more talent and ability to, to possibly go championship in England. Um, I know he played with Millwall, but to go consistently because he's he's quick. He's fit, he's one of the fittest players I've ever played with, and he's learning the game every day. And he just has that he has that hunger. And players like that can can certainly go up each level in different leagues. Um, but if if he does manage to come to the CPL, whatever team gets him, they're going to get a, a a fantastic player. Yeah, we we had him on the show there uh, a week or two ago, and. Um, I, I kind of asked him about like coming to the CPL, and I guess like as you said, it's kind of a, a, a dream of most people to play in their home leagues. But um, I, I think um, he's, he kind of wants to travel with his football. So I, I think he'll probably stay in Europe just that little bit longer and see how everything pans out for him. But he is a hell of a player. So uh, the the uh, the Irish leagues uh, gain is the CPL's loss, unfortunately. So um, yeah. Carlos, did you have a, another question there, man? Yes, um, just going back to uh, what he was saying about uh, Balor FC, uh, I'm wondering who's the player that impacted you the most, that, that you were really surprised and you were really looking forward to play with in Balor? Um, I'm not too sure. I've, I didn't really, I haven't really seen many of the players really, but I would have to probably say Fraser Erd. You know, I'd be a Glasgow Rangers fan myself and Fraser's played for Glasgow Rangers. And he's played with a couple of players that I've played with who says he's a fantastic player, you know. So out of all the, out of all the players to begin with, I would probably say Fraser because he's the one that I've, I would know know of the most. Uh, and then obviously seeing him in training, he, he's quality. But again, there's a lot of players in, in the first two, three weeks that, that are fantastic, fantastic as well um, that I didn't know of, you know. And But again, for me... I'm really looking forward to working with Rob and Damien, um, more so than what what player I want to play with the most. You know, um, for me, I want to. I'm really looking forward to working under Rob and under Damien and taking in their concepts of play and how they see the game and how they f- want me to fit into the team. Um, so that's the part I'm really excited about. That's good. And um, your adaptation has been uh, pretty good. I know after this, you were training with them, you were looking forward to it, and then all this pandemic started. Um, how has been your adaptation? Like, I know online you guys are training and you have your uh, works that you have to do at home. Is it difficult uh, for you? Uh, if you can share us more, like, how is uh, your training development from home? Yeah. Um, again, you just have to, you have to get on with it. Um, you have to be very adaptable, you know, not just sports, but life in general, things, things are thrown at you. And unfortunately this has been thrown at all of us, um, not just soccer players, but in terms of my training, um, the, the clubs, you know, the, the athletic therapist and, uh, training trainer guy has been sending out running programs. We've been doing hit sessions on zoom calls, um, keeping up with yoga, things like that. Um, but just following the program that they send out and 
we can record it on an app and then they can send us um, how we're doing if we need to up it a little bit or you know just trying to trying to get in the right the right zone for fitness training um, but again it's as I was speaking to some people it's it's a little bit of deja vu for me uh, I never played all of 2018 um, whenever Edmonton folded and the NSL stopped playing at the end of 2017 uh, my wife she just fell pregnant at the time um, so she started a new job and she needed to work five months in order to be eligible for maternity. Um, so we decided to, to stay in Edmonton, um, let the British season finish and head back in possibly June time to sign for a team in Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, Wales, uh, because the British season would have started pre-season then. Uh, the Irish season would have been up and running already by that stage. But that was the plan. And then whenever I went back to Belfast to st- start my UFA A license, and while I was back there, uh, my wife FaceTimed me and says she had to go and see the doctor uh, about her pregnancy. And the doctor advised her not to fly because she had some blood condition Um swelling in her legs and things like that and the doctor says look a flight across the Atlantic could kill you so I had to fly back to to Edmonton and we had to stay there until the baby was born um, so a long story short I ended up the last game I played was November 2017 and then my next game wasn't until 15, 15 months later and that was for Sligo uh, the first game of the season away to Dundalk, you know. So, whenever I didn't have a team to train with in Edmonton because they never had a team at the time, I just had to train on my own, train outside, run, gym work, uh, you know. So it was very, very tough. Um, but for me, it's a little bit of deja vu now, and I guess I'm sort of, sort of used to it now. But luckily with me, I've got a son here. It keeps me on my toes, keeps me keeps me seeing every day during this pandemic. Um, of course. Yeah, so for me it's a little bit of deja vu, but with every other player we're just we're following the programme that the club gives us and and trying to keep our spirits up as much as we can. So in that uh, gap period of two thousand eighteen it must be definitely very, very difficult for you as you were mentioning. Um so you were training and uh, w- with teams and everything. So when you play again in 2019, um, can you share us more? Like, how do you feel like in your first games? Like, because there's, it doesn't matter if you're in shape, like there's a little bit of rust. Uh, how mentally also important was for you to keep uh, mentally right too? Because, you know, you have to be strong in the head and in your fitness to make such a huge comeback. If you can share us one of those experiences. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's no doubt about it that I fell into a little bit of a dark place at times um, during 2018. You know, I've, I've played soccer all my life, been a professional since I, I turned 17. And then all of a sudden, you're not there anymore. There's no team to train with. You don't see any teammates. So you're training on your own. Um, it's alone. It got really lonely at times, you know, especially when my wife she still had to work at the time 
until the baby came. But yeah, it was tough mentally. Um, and thankfully, I got out the other end of it because there's a lot of stories where, where players don't come out, to, come out the correct end of it. Uh, unfortunately, take their own lives at, at some points if you want to go really deep. But for me, it was once the baby was born, it was that was a new goal set for me. You know, my goal was I want to get on that pitch and I want to, I want my son to watch me play and I want to see him after the game. I want to bring him onto the pitch. You know, I want, I want my son to see his daddy play before he has <laughs> to retire sometime. But yeah, it was, it was tough and I turned up the Sligo uh, pre-season was late. Uh, you know, it was, I think it was two weeks before the season started. So I only got two weeks pre-season of training with a ball and, and proper sprint work, things like that with, with the players before I went into that first game away to Dundalk and uh, I'm sure Anthony can can understand how, how tough it is going away to Dundalk probably the toughest game of the year mentalists um, <laughs> yeah yes it is <laughs> and, and they're, they're the best team for sure uh, last year for sure they were and the previous years but again I was I'm just used to it just getting thrown back in the battle Um but no, it was tough, uh, physically and mentally. Um, so, yeah. Were you uh, in Northern Ireland or you were in Canada? Um, so I was in Edmonton, and oh, Edmonton, very yeah, cold. We, yeah. So we, we were in Edmonton. The, the baby was born in uh, in August. We there was Ross County in Scotland that wanted were very interested in me, you know, and then. The season started August already, so I missed out on... In Canada, they changed the passport, so I thought my son could have got a passport within six days, but unfortunately, they changed that, and it would have t it was taken two months. So Whoa. I think we went back to... We went back to Belfast in October. Um, <clears throat> so we were in Edmonton until October, and then we were in Belfast until we moved to Sligo in February. That must be really difficult because, you know, Edmonton, I've been in Edmonton, actually, I was there like three months ago, no, two months ago, and it was really, really cold. And it wasn't that cold as normally. So for me, it was cold. And I can imagine, like, you know, um, like training with your own. It's not easy in Canada because you can go, at least in, in North Island, it's cold, but it's not as cold as here. And we got all the snow, and it's really hard to train outside so i can't imagine how difficult it was for you but there's always a silver lining you have your baby and you're back now and you're playing in canada which you're like pretty much established and um things work out for you and I'm, I'm really glad that that it went that well so kudos to that and just like keep doing it uh, because it seems like uh Football is is it's it's what you have and, and you know nothing will stop you and we're we're glad that things work it out for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, Jesus, this feels like a uh, psychology class with Carlos here, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it got very dark there as well. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Carlos, it's called down the pub, not down the bleeding mental hospital. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so. Um, for yourself then, like at uh, Sligo, like last year, like I know you were, you were a prolific striker when you were at Edmonton, but um, they seem to be playing you 
in a kind of deeper role. Was there a reason for that? Yeah, um, well, whenever I was at Edmonton, I first went um, as a striker. I actually started out at Glen Torn as a centre midfielder. Um, I played left midfield, right midfield over the, the four seasons as well. So anywhere across the midfield. And at the time at Glen Torn, we had the best player in the league. Um, along with, obviously, Limfield had Glenn Ferguson at the time, who's, who was probably the best. Along with us, we had Gary Hamilton, who was our striker. And back then, it was a 4-4-2. You had one striker who was like a number 10, which was Gary Hamilton, and then you would have had a target striker. And then whenever I went to, went to Limfield, we obviously had Peter Thompson, who was the top goal scorer in the league as a striker. And then we had Mark McAllister, who would have been your more hold-up striker. Um, so whenever I was at Limfield... I found myself playing left midfield sometimes as a striker, um, you know, and then once I went to Edmonton, I went as a striker again. We were playing four four two, but then whenever the second year we dropped into a four one four one formation, I would have dropped in um, as an attacking midfielder alongside Richie Jones, and then whenever Richie had to retire, unfortunately, it was most of that season it would have been me and Shamit Shom, who's at Montreal now. Um, but yeah, for the most part at, at Edmonton, I would have played um, in a two behind the striker. Um, but yeah, whenever I went back, whenever I went to Sligo, we had Romeo Parks and Ronan Coughlin as our strikers, and the two of them were absolutely top drawer. You know, and it only made it made sense for me to to play in the midfield. Um, Ronan with his hold-up ability and his link each play was was top drawer, one of the best in the league. And then you had Romeo with his pace, um, just as all-round dangerous. You know, so it made sense for me to, to go back in the midfield, um, being a little bit of an older player as well, playing in there beside Dave Colley for most of the year, who's an absolutely fantastic player, one of the best players I've played with. Uh, his technique is, is sick. Um but it made sense. It was more balanced for our team. Um, and then again this year, I couldn't tell you where I'm going to play because I'm very versatile. But, you know, over the, over the last few years, the, the, the modern game over the last few years has sort of been, all right, we're going to play this formation and have this system. So we need two players for this position. But now, which... It actually went against my... It was a disadvantage to me because I'm versatile. Coaches were sort of looking for, you know, I need this striker and he has to be fast. And they were just set on having a fast striker or I need this midfielder, but he has to cover 13 kilometers a game. You know, simple things like that without taking into account of the, their passing ability or, you know, what they bring to the team mentally, what they bring to the team... Like, do they give up whenever they're 2-0 down or do they keep going and, and rally back, things like that. But uh, no, it's just the different versatile the game now. Uh, you can look at Leipzig in Germany, the Nagelsmann, the coach, he's very, very versatile. You know, he, he likes players that can play in different positions. And I think that's where the game is sort of going now. So for me, I'm hoping to play until I'm 40 and... On the outlook of that, I think the game, the modern game, is starting to change, where players interchange positions, and it's very fluent and versatile rather than 
Raheem Sterling, you're playing left midfield. This is what you do in your position. You're a specialist in that position. And I think that's been over the last few years, especially under Pep Guardiola. But I think the game's starting to change a little bit more when you look at the at the, the teams in Germany and it's very versatile. You see Serge Nabry sort of floating around different positions and then other players picking up where he's left off. You know, so it's sort of organized chaos, as they would call it. You know, so I think that helps in my in my game because I'm very versatile. It doesn't matter if I end up in a right midfield position, I'll understand the roles and responsibilities of a right midfielder. Um, so I think that's where the game's sort of, of going nowadays. Like I know you're versatile. Let's hope that uh, Rob doesn't come along with a pair of gloves for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> no problem if he wants me to do those, but I guarantee that I'll keep any clean sheet. <laughs> So, so you, you touched on there that you, uh, you you were playing for. I think you spent most of the, like your uh, most prolific time, uh, playing time was at uh, Glen Torren, um, and then you moved to Linfield, who was like one of the most um, prestigious clubs in in, in Ireland. Um, so, so you won like a league championship and a cup while you were at Linfield. How did the move to Edmonton then come about? Like, why would you want to leave a winning team like that and move to Canada? It's like it's a huge jump. Yeah, as I say, there's always a story to soften. I was at Glen Torn four years under... I grew up a Limfield supporter, and if anyone knows, Limfield and Glen Torn, like, they hate each other. Yep. So me me growing up as a Limfield supporter, again, I have to backtrack a bit. I was uh, spent four years at Portsmouth. Uh, that's where I signed my pro. And then when Harry Redknapp came back from Southampton, he sort of... He didn't really go for youth players. But then my contract finished. I went to Luton, Luton Town with Kevin Blackwell. Um, he wanted to sign me. And the day I was to sign, the club went in the administration. So Jesus then Christ. it was, a, I think it was two weeks before the season was starting. So then I flew back to Belfast. I had to pay my own flight as well back to Belfast because Luton didn't have any money. Wow. Um, you know, and then word get around that uh, I was available and I came off a, it came off the back of a good under nineteen campaign with Northern Ireland, and Mal Danaghy was our manager, and I scored a few goals playing up front actually for, for Mal. But once I came back, um, Balamina were interested. Uh, Nuri made me an offer, poured it down. Limfield never made me an offer because they had Glenn Ferguson and Peter Thompson as their strikers. Uh, and then Glenn Thorne manager was just took over was Alan McDonald and he was my assistant manager for the under 21s Northern Ireland team so Alan calls me and he's like hey I want you to come in play centre midfield for me and I'm like Alan I, ca- I can't sign for Glenn Thorne you know I've grown up supporting Linfield there's no way my dad will not allow it uh, I live in an area where it's all Linfield supporters and, and Alan was like no I, I really need you to come here um, so Tommy Wright Who's who's was the St. Johnson manager? He just let go. He's in the running for the Northern Ireland job. He was the Balamina manager at the time, and he's phoning me. Um, so I was edging towards Balamina and Glen Torn, but Balamina from Belfast is a, it's maybe a half hour drive each time. Um, and Glen Torn was just in the east of the city, and I was in the south, so it was a ten minute drive. Um, but Alan McDonald, um, rest his soul at the minute. Uh, he he really persuaded me to go over and I went and trained with him a few times and 
you know, I spoke to my dad and he just says, look, whatever you think. Um, he says, if you want to win trophies, you're going to have more of a chance of winning trophies with Glen Thorne than Balamina. Uh, no disrespect there. But uh, I went to Glen Thorne and I think we won we won the league in the, the second season I was there with Glen Thorne. We won, a, we won a couple of cups as well. But then four years later, Alan McDonald, he, he lost his job and Scott Young took over at Glen Thorne. But Scott put me on the transfer list. Uh, I was one of, the, one of the top earners, one of the top five earners at Glen Thorne and he threw all five of us on the transfer list. And he was trying to swap me to Linfield. Linfield wanted me at the time. Um, but financially... Just I just bought a house, just bought an apartment in Belfast, and the money that Linfield were offering it wasn't going to cover until I actually got. If I I need to get another job to do both because you train in the evening time there. But uh, I stayed another season at Glen Torn and ended up scoring twenty five goals. I think um, I scored the first game. I was still on a transfer list, and there was no one to play striker, or all our strikers were injured. And it says that Scott Young at the time like threw me up front. I didn't play any reserve games or any or any preseason games, you know. So I was just I was left left out all all together. Um, but there was no one to play up front in the first game of the season. Threw me up front against away to Lisburn Distillery. We won six one and I scored five. The that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, it, it, it's a reason why I wear number sixteen. Up, why I wear number sixteen now? I used to always wear number eight, and then Scotty took number eight off me and gave it to another player because he, <laughs> he was wanting me to leave. Um, but I wore number eight at Sligo last year. Um, but no, anyway, I got a call that night and says, look, you're taking off your transfer list. Uh, I said, no, there's two weeks left of the transfer um, window. I'm going to speak with Linfield and try and get things done. Now, Glenthorne wanted to keep me rather than let me go. So then I ended up agreeing, agreeing a little pay cut, Glenthorne, just to stay for the year. And then obviously David Jaffrey called me at Linfield and he says, look, I want you here. I says, okay, let's do it. Ronnie McFall at Porter Down was wanting to sign me as well. But no, I've always wanted to play for Linfield. It's the team I've always supported growing up. It's the team I had season tickets. I used to, when I was even younger, I used to crawl under the gate to get into the stadium. Every Saturday I was going to watch the games home and away. And I lived in an area I actually bought an apartment in an area in Belfast. It's all Linfield supporters, you know, so I, I jumped at the chance. We cut my wages in half to end up going to Linfield after that season, you know, and then I went to Linfield and the first season we won the, the, the double, won the league in the cup. Yeah, I got a, a lot of abuse when we played Linfield. Um, I can imagine <laughs> a lot of a lot of abuse you'll you'll not understand. Even just going out in Belfast, just luckily I have some tough friends that were with me. That you know, wow. some, some guys would, wouldn't think twice of of starting anything with a couple of the friends that I have. But uh, yeah, then going how we ended up in Edmonton was at the end of that season. Me and my wife get married in Grand Canaria, two thousand twelve. And the day after the wedding, we're just lying sunbathing, and she turns around and says, "Daryl, can you uh, can you play football somewhere else?" And I'm like, "Why? What's wrong with Linfield?" And she says, "No, I mean like the other side of the world. My wife and geography just do not mix. So the other side of the, <laughs> the other side of the world, 
you know, the other side of the world could mean round a corner. <laughs> you, you know, she doesn't know if where America is. She doesn't know where Australia is. She doesn't know where anywhere is. So yeah, she she just says no, like the other side of the world, and I'm like, okay, Australia, America. What do you think? And she says, well, somewhere away from from Northern Ireland. I'm like, all right then. So then I looked into it, and I used to live with Asmir Begovic at Portsmouth, and he 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 was born in Bosnia, but he was a refugee and grew up in Edmonton. So he had some wow. contacts. Yeah, he had some contacts with the soccer people of Edmonton. Colin Miller just got the job at Edmonton, and obviously Colin's Scottish, and he understands Linfield and teams back there. So, and I, I know Colin wanted some British and Irish type players into into his team. Um, so yeah, it was we spoke with Colin, and he was like, "Yeah, I've seen your videos, like, but you'll you'll still have to come over and and sort of come on a trial just to make sure." And Albert Watson, at the time, he played with me at Linfield, and I always knew he wanted to emigrate also. So I spoke to Albert and says, look, I'm going to, me and my wife, we're going to take a chance in Canada. You know, I can help out with a team over there, get a trial, things, but I think it'll go well. So I put Albert in touch with Colin. He obviously seen him play before, and that was it. We, you know, Albert had a, a coaching job with the Irish FA, Along with a salary at Limfield, I was actually doing. I was actually a lifeguard, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> while playing for Limfield as well. Even though we were on full time contracts, the training was always in the evening time. You know, because our our manager is a social worker. Um, our coaches were had other jobs also, and a couple of the part time players did. Um, but yeah, we we just packed everything up. Ended up in Edmonton. If the soccer side didn't work out we were just going to get another job or look for another team. Um, but again, Edmonton were the only team in the NASL at the time. And we actually thought there was a lot more professional teams in Canada at the time, but it turned out there was only three MLS teams. And then you had Edmonton who were in the NASL as Ottawa weren't even formed yet. But yeah, we, we, we went over and, and showed what showed that we were, were decent enough to take a chance on and, Thankfully, uh, we turned out to be good signings for Colin. Oh, like big time! Like you're you're still technically the uh, the the highest goal scorer for FC Edmonton, aren't you? Yeah, I believe so. Um, I don't really I don't really look into much of the stuff, and uh, anyone that knows me, I don't really keep track of goals and assists, and it's more for me. It's more for oh, do you remember this game and this happened. Uh, that's my type of attitude and. Even last week, last week my wife was like, "You know, you should, you should get your shirts and frame them." You know, now we're settled back in Canada, and I'm like, "I don't even know where all my shirts are." <laughs> Honestly, I've, I've, I've given most of my shirts away during the year. I've got a, I've got a shirt, Glen Thorne against Manchester United, 125th anniversary United shirt. It's signed by the players, Ferdinand, Fidditch, things like that. I honestly don't know what I've done with it. Um, <laughs> oh wow. <and> then, <laughs> Whenever I was back home in Belfast, I went into my dad's room and my uh, under-21s caps were there. My hat-trick balls were all there. Football boots from 10 years ago with mold on them. Like, honestly, it's <laughs> my, my dad actually takes more prize in all that stuff than, than what I do. How happy was he when you uh, signed for Linfield? Oh, he was buzzing. 
honestly, like my apartment's just around the corner from his house, and you know he was buzzing. It, it meant that I I always remember that whenever Limfield the first year assigned Limfield won the league, they beat us. I think it was three points. I think we might have had the better goal difference. And Gary Hamilton, he hit one straight at Alan Manis in the last five minutes, like straight at him and Alan held on to it. That would have been the difference, you know, win the league. But I remember whenever Linfield won the league, I was in bed that night and about two o'clock in the morning, there was about 30, 30 people Half of them were my mates outside singing Linfield songs outside my house. <laughs> and my missus was like, what's going on here? And I'm like, oh, it's just all Linfield supporters because they know I live here. But whenever we won the league uh, with Linfield, you know, I had half of my mates out with the team partying whenever we we done the double. Uh, I would phone my mates because I only live two minutes from Windsor Park. I'd phone my mates and say... Hey, I'm in the I'm in the changing room here. Part of my players come up. I'll bring you in. Ended up there was like five, six of my mates in the changing room partying with all the players. <laughs> and, and and these are these are friends that you know they would they admired some of the players, the likes of Winky Murphy. I remember one of my players looking at Winky Murphy as if he was a god in the changing room, and you know. So for my mates, I actually said I actually told the player the players saying that whenever you won the league. Four years, five years ago, I think it might have been. I says these guys were outside my house partying at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now they're in with me partying with you guys. <laughs> As you said, uh, football is a football is a pretty funny game. Um, so we were t- we were talking to uh, Ben Fist the other day, who I think you played with in Edmonton. Too. Yeah, um, but I never really got the chance to ask him, so I thought I'd ask you. So. so Obviously, like the NASL just collapsed. Were, were you guys like aware of that this was happening, or was it just like a kind of a shock to you guys as much as well as everybody else? I think most of our boys were sort of aware of it. Um, it was actually, I had a brief stint at FC Cincinnati. Um, you know, it was 2017. I ended up going to Cincinnati uh, that season. I went there basically because they offered me more money. Um, which for me is very, very unlikely, unlike me. And it's, it taught me a big, big lesson uh, to do things, whenever you're doing things, to do it for intrinsic reasons rather than extrinsic, <laughs> if that's right. Um, <laughs> but don't chase the money, basically. Play, play for the love of it. Um, you know, because I, love, I loved Edmonton. I absolutely loved Edmonton. I loved working under Colin Miller, you know, and... And all the players were fantastic, and we we lost a semi final in the eleven. Uh, we were I think we were projected to finish tenth, eleventh, or twelfth that year, and we we finished third. We made the playoffs, and in the eleven beat us one nil. Um, a fantastic goal from Ubi Barapovic, which knocked us out. You know, I loved it there, but that at the end of that season, the NASL was sort of no one knew what was happening at the end of that season, but then. When things got to go ahead, I'd already agreed, basically agreed with Cincinnati, who were in the USL. Um, and again, they offered me more money, which I ended up going for. And I don't regret not going to Cincinnati. I just regret going because it was for money. Um, but again, whenever I went down there, I worked under Alan Koss and Johan DeMay, and like I learned so much from those guys and still keep in contact with the two of them. Um 
But then whenever I went back from halfway that se- halfway through that season, uh, you know, I wanted to get back to Edmonton and thankfully I got I got a, I spoke with Colin Miller and we worked it out, you know, let's put the pass behind us and, and get going again. Um but the agent that done the deal for me, he actually gave me a heads up and said, uh, you know, the NSL might not be around next year, so we'd advise just to sign until the end of the season. Um, so whenever I came back, I, I advised the players and said, look, this is the information I got from the agent that done the deal with me. And, you know, just to give you guys a heads up. And then word came out at San Francisco. They were sort of more open with their players and, couple of our players knew some of the San Francisco players and they basically said, yeah, the writing's on the wall. It, it's certainly on the wall for for them, for San Francisco. Um, but whenever we had meetings with Tom Fath, you know, we didn't really get much of an answer of, is the league going to be ahead, going to go ahead, or is the team going to go ahead? Um, you know, we had guys that were on two-year contracts, sorry, uh, two-year contracts, um, guys that had just maybe bought a new car, signed a new lease on an apartment. Um, you know, so guys were trying to find out so they can manage their future. Um, but yeah, we didn't we didn't really find out until very, very late. Um, you know, that was that was a little bit disappointing. I remember being in the gym at the University of Alberta and one of the trainers come over and he's like, Hey, you've been released. I'm like Released from where? He says Edmonton. You, Tommy, and will be Dustin Correa and Sienna Niasi. Uh, but I knew my contract was finishing that day, you know. But I didn't think they were going to go public with it and, you know, say this and whatever. So I spoke to the general manager and I'm like, "What's going on here?" And he just said, he, he didn't really give me a good enough answer to say, like, to say anything nice. It was sort of like this is a club's decision. Um, that's it. You're no longer a player. You're no, no you're no longer an employee. And I'm like, yeah, but you could have given me a heads up. I've just spoken to the the other three boys, and they have like Tommy Omiobi's not even on social media. I said I've just spoken to him and told him myself, and he didn't. He wasn't aware of it. Um, and I just said, look, most of the guy that was November fifteen, and most of the team's contracts were finished in November thirtieth. And I just said to the GM, look please call around the other players and give them a heads up. But then again, November, approaching November 30, I spoke around some of the players. None of the players had heard from the club. And then again, it just came out, uh, all, the, all these players have been released. And whatever, whenever it was, the league is not, the NASL is not going ahead next year. Um, so it was left at the very, very last, last moment. Um, for me, it could have been managed a little bit better just for a respectable side of things. But again, it it is what it is, and as players, we we just moved on from it. Well, I mean, like you know, with your move to uh, Cincinnati and stuff like that, it's one of those probably things as well that if you hadn't have gone, it's the what ifs, right? Yeah. So, sure. like you know, you, you do stuff for a reason, and you end up going back to Edmonton anyway. So you know, it's it's just one of those kind of stories you get to tell. Um, just the, the last kind of thing I have for you is like I know you said there that you'd like to play until you're 40 and what what do you think you're going to need to do like to to maintain your fitness and your standards to be able to to go on playing that long yeah I'm just going to have to keep my fitness levels as high as I can um I have to continue to do yoga you know because yoga for me yoga is a big big help um I took that from Ryan Giggs years ago 
uh, <laughs> I first got into you. Not that story you're thinking of. <laughs> um, he, uh, he brought out a yoga DVD, actually, and it helped prolong his career until he was 41. Um, and actually, I bought the DVD and started getting into yoga, you know, because yoga wasn't really, it wasn't cool for, for soccer players. It was more of a, a girl's thing. Um, but again, Ryan Giggs was, he, he's been my idol growing up. He's been my favorite player all over the years. And for me, it was, well, if Ryan Giggs is going to do it, I'm going to do it. And, and that's what got me into it. And honestly, I started, started feeling the benefits from it. I started feeling stronger. My recovery times after games, I could recover a lot quicker. And it also helped with a lot of injuries as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll be keeping the fitness levels up. I'll continue to do yoga and again, I'll, I'll eat properly and try and keep my body fat as low as possible. Uh, and then if you go to the technical side of things, obviously trying to figure out more efficient ways to use your energy during a game. Because some days you might come up against, uh, if, say, for example, if I'm playing midfield and I'm up against one of the fittest guys, you know, I have to work out how can I make this guy expend more energy. So whenever it comes to the last 20 minutes or so, he's expended a lot of his energy and, and you know, now it's game on. You know, the two of us have still got the same energy levels here. But yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of things that, that can take into it. And thankfully, Valor is a, a very possession-based team. And that's how Rob Gale and Damian Rock likes to play the game. And it suits me perfectly as well. I like to keep possession. And obviously, the more possession that you have, the, the less running you do in games. Um, but again, and you know what we're like um, back home. We work hard. Uh, and we never give in. We always fight, and even when the chips are down, whenever somebody says, "Yeah, that guy's no good enough anymore," or he's lost it, or whatever, that that's the motivation that you know we have back home. We we roll our sleeves up and say, "I'll show you." Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just keep up the the fitness, the yoga, the nutrition, and my son will keep me busy in the house as well. So <laughs> that, that's my plan, and and fingers crossed that. I don't get any serious injuries, um, and that, and I can keep going. You know, so I'll um I'll, I'll look out for the uh, Daryl Fordyce yoga video. <laughs> <laughs> You'll not see that anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, actually connecting uh, to to your question, Anthony. Um, you want to retire forty? Yeah. Um, so my question is, uh, most like, what would you miss the most from football when you retire besides playing and training? There's so many staff that football gives you that a lot of retired players miss. For example, yeah. what I heard the most is that a lot of retired players, besides playing and training, they miss the locker room because yeah. it's kind of like a space that they can be themselves. They're just like having fun, the preparation and anticipation before the match. So I don't know if for you will be the same or probably will be different if you can share some of your thoughts about that. I don't want to retire until I'm 40. I want to play until I'm 40. And after that, then everything's a bonus, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I could retire at 50, which is very, very, very unlikely, you know? Um, but no, I just, I, I sensed a little bit. I got a little bit of it in 2018 whenever I never played, you know, and, and just missing that locker room banter, going in, social, socializing with players, training, you know, just kicking the ball into a net um, against a goalkeeper or playing possession and training. 
that's that's what I'm going to miss the most. But I think what I felt 2018 was whenever I not, whenever I never had a team to train with or to to play, you know, I never had any goals to strive for. And in football, it's always what is your goal at the start of the season? How many goals are you going to try and score? How many are you going to? Where is the team going to try and finish? And then you've got your your smaller goals where you bring each game, try and win each game that you play. Uh, so I think for me, it will probably be if that definitely the locker room banter is for sure and the training side of things, along with the games, just the competitive side of things. But um, the one thing that worries me is is not having a goal. Um, so that's something that I have to find and hopefully find it before I retire that shall I go into coaching or go into something else that I have a goal that I wake up every morning and I have a goal to try and try and reach. Um, because whenever you don't have any goals to go for, that's whenever you start feeling lost and that's whenever you, you start feeling lonely and sort of looking in on yourself. And that's whenever, as I spoke earlier, when you, you can fall into a little a little dark side of your mentality but for me I think if, if there's a goal there to, to be set and to be achieved then I think that's the most important thing So you're working on getting your badges for coaching uh, how's that going? Yeah I just uh, I finished my UFA license in January there um, just a month before I moved out to Winnipeg so I had my final assessment uh, in London uh, within the academy and I went over there and and done my final assessment and thankfully I passed uh, so yeah in terms of the European qualifications the the next one would be the UEFA Pro license but that would not be until if I was coaching a, a big team or you know, coaching it at a longer time and then you have your UEFA youth elite youth um, license that you can do if you're going into an academy type of thing but yeah, it's, I've got my UFA license and then I'll probably go in and do my Canadian ones as well while I'm still playing. And then I'll, I'll look into, if I do go into, decide to go into coaching after my playing career, then possibly get on to do my UFA Pro license. Um, but again, whenever I was doing my, my coaching license, um, I always hear coaches, they always said, you know, players should start their coaching early in their career because it teaches them a lot. And the one thing that it taught me, obviously, apart from the tactic side of things and uh, managing players and things like that, was, you know, coach, coaching, the coach's job is tough. Um, it is very, very tough. The, the amount of hours that coaches have to put in and coaches can put in, like, so many hours and then whenever game day comes, uh, the preparation is all wrong and they got to change it at half time, like maybe 10 minutes to change it at half time because all the hours that they've put in, maybe the other teams caught them by surprise or they've got a couple of bad injuries and they've had to change things up, you know. So for me, coaching is very, very tough. Uh, and I remember sitting up till 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning doing stuff on the, on the MacBook and then I was up at six thirty, seven in the morning again to get going for the day, the day's uh, learning of coaching. Um, you know, they were giving us scenarios that this can happen, uh, and to me, it's like 
no, I'm, I'm just not ready for that yet. I want to keep continuing to play. <laughs> it's easier to, yeah. it's easier to wake up in the morning and roll out of bed, get a bit of breakfast and then stroll onto the training pitch because <laughs> the coaches have laid, they've laid everything out for you. You just got to turn up and kick a ball and, and do as the coaches tell you. Um, it's like a bunch of math formulas, you know, like every endless possibility that could happen in a soccer match. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> you know, and for me, it's, it's actually, it's made me respect coaches so, so much. Um, and you know, it's, I remember Colin Miller telling me, saying if you ever do go into it, you know, it can be a very lonely place at times. Um, especially, obviously, if you lose, but if you win, you know, the rewards are tremendous. The feeling of winning is unbelievable. But uh, that's one of the reasons why I want to continue to play for as long as I can. Um, because right now I have, have, a, have a child just about to turn two. Um, and I, wanna, I don't want to be spending too much time on the computer. I want to spend as much time as I can with him before, before even going to the coaching side of things. But again, right now, my passion is still playing, still playing the game. Um, but thankfully, I, I passed my UFA license and um, I've done, I done well at it. And I'll probably, you have to renew it every three years. So I'll possibly try and renew it in three years' time and I'll try and go in to do my Canadian A license as well at some point. Call is kind of like the, the last orders part of it, kind of the pub, keeping the pub team. The parting glass. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, just, we just kind of have a few kind of uh, simple kind of questions for you. So, uh, Carlos, uh, do you want to fire out your question there, bud? Uh, Daryl, what are your top three players in your position that you admire? Could be um, nowadays or like in the past? Like top, three idols. Top three idols that I uh, over the three players that I've loved over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Three strikers. Uh, uh, three strikers. All yeah. right. I would go for Rude Van Nistelrooy, Robin Van Persie, and I'd have to go for Wayne Rooney. Wow! Solid choices. So yeah. you're uh, you're an Arsenal fan, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so if you had to um, if you had to pick a five aside uh, of players that you've played with, who'd be on your team? Wow, who have played with? Yeah, my, my centre back would be Albert Watson. He he blocks absolutely everything. There'd be no goals past us. I, I wouldn't even pick a goalkeeper for that reason <laughs> so I could have more outfield players uh, I go with Albert Watson um, it's a tough one throw me on the spot here um, we'll go to I'll throw in Dave Colley there at Sligo five aside games he was he was outstanding then I'll go with I'm trying to think five aside I'll probably put in money's at two if I had to pick myself you can pick yourself if you want to. I don't want to pick myself. I'll stay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, if, if, well, Albert Watson, Dave Colley. I'll put in Gary Hamilton at Glen Thorne. I'll put in Robert Gard at, at Linfield at the time. And I'll also throw in, I'll throw in Michael Carville, who was at Linfield as well. Robert and Michael, are, they're small. So five aside is perfect for them and it, it's, it's perfect for their game. It's a pretty solid team there, man. So uh, your favorite movie? 
A favourite movie? Um, I'd go for The Hangover. Nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, favourite food? <laughs> favourite food? Uh, yeah. Probably just... I go. I like a nice pasta dish. I go for pasta. Murphy's, Beamish, or Guinness? Oh, I'm not really. I'll probably just go for Murphy's. I don't really like Guinness. Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> um, <laughs> Celtic or Rangers? I'm joking. I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any uh, any superstitions before your game? Um, I don't really have superstitions. Um, I would have a routine. You know, so I would go through a routine of what I would eat the night before um, in the morning time, what I would eat for breakfast and what I would eat three hours before. Uh, and then I would go through my uh, rolling routine. And now and again, I would throw on throw on YouTube and put on like a festival of U2 or someone like that, Snow Patrol, um, in the music type ways. U2 and Snow Patrol seem to psych me up a little bit. Um, and then I like to get to the game at least 10, 15 minutes before we're supposed to be there. Uh, so I wouldn't really have superstitions. I would just have a more of a routine. Um, and, I, and I would stick to the routine also. Uh, it, that would be very strict because if I miss something out, it's once I turn up, I'm ready to go out in the game. I don't want to be... Oh, I didn't do this and I didn't do that before the game. It's get the routine done and then the routine sets me in. I don't even have to think about the game that much. Nice. Um, and then the last question, favourite ground you've played at? Favourite ground I've played at? It would have to be Windsor Park. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of others, but I was like, no, it has to be Windsor Park. Irish Cup final day at Windsor Park. Uh, I would have loved to have played at the Aviva last year. Uh, Dundalk beat us, they beat us 1-0, scored in the last minute against us. Um, first game in a long time, I've cried after a game. Uh, oh, just wow. wanted, I want, Yeah, I wanted to get to the final and bring my wife and son to the Aviva to, to see the game. And obviously, you know what soccer means to people in Sligo as well. That would have been tremendous. Um, but yeah, I, I never played at Aviva. But for me, Windsor Park for sure. Well, I mean, getting to uh, play a cup final for Linfield at Windsor Park is a uh, it's a pretty good good place to be, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's not too shabby. So um, we, we let this uh, poor man go back to his child. What's your uh, what's your son's name, by the way? <clears throat> to ask you. Son's name is Luca. Nice. He's named after Luca Modric. <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, Tottenham fan already. I love it. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for um, hanging out with us. We really, really appreciate it. We're probably going to call this episode the uh, the, the Belfast David Hasselhoff after your stint as a lifeguard. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I wasn't I really a very good lifeguard. <laughs> thankfully, no one died. <laughs> Honestly, thankfully, I didn't have to jump in and try and save someone. <laughs> there's, there's an Irish joke in there somewhere about not being able, a lifeguard not being able to swim. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for hanging out with us. I really, really appreciate it. Um, it was a lot of fun to hear your your journey from uh, Belfast to uh, Canada. So, thanks, Mill Daryl. Really appreciate it. And um, thanks to you, Carlos, for trying some questions Daryl's way as well. <laughs> no, thank you, Anthony, for having me again. And thank you, Daryl. Uh, it was a great, great, great episode. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And, and take care of each other. I'll, I'll shout you at Murphy's downtown. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Sounds good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> take care, Paul. All right. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Right. See Bye. ya. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast. Thanks again to our guests, Key Costigan and Daryl Fordyce. Thank you to Carlos for helping out. Really do appreciate all the help. Thank you, the listeners. We really do appreciate your support. As always, you can subscribe at downthepub.ca so you never miss an episode. Until next time, stay safe, wash your hands, shop local. Cheers. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast. Recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.